When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn up your Turn volume. Up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Marinero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> there is a bomb. Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est bon. Ce sera la victoire des Canadiens. pour les Canadiens. Le 23e de l'histoire. You found the dogs. John, you found the dogs. He found the dogs! And all together, they worked the young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup! Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. Embrace your true nature. And... Playground, your premier gaming destination. It's gonna be sick. Marinero, the Sick Podcast on this Wednesday night. It is August 2nd, and the Sick Podcast brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group, a leading full-service logistics provider serving all of North America, driven to be different. Also brought to you in part by Playground. Over 600 machines, poker tournaments, and playground casino games. Daily promotions and unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else located just over the Mercier Bridge? Only minutes from downtown Montreal playground and brewed in Quebec. And a winner of a dozen international awards. La Bit at TV offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bit at TV. Embrace your true nature. Uh, today, um, you know what? I came across a couple of articles. And, and one of the guys who's been writing a lot of articles about the Montreal Canadiens uh, in the last week or so, especially, I don't know, this guy, he's spitting out articles pretty much every day or every other day, is Ryan Sporzer, columnist at the Hockey Writer, and he joins me right now. Ryan, what's going on? Not much. How are you? Very, very well. Thanks for doing this, my man. And uh, there's three articles that um, I wouldn't say caught my attention, but I think we're going to focus on um, right now. That's an article regarding Jesse Yolonen. It's another article regarding uh, Leah Anderson, and one regarding the possibility of the Montreal Canadiens making the playoffs. Why don't we start with Jesse Yolonen, who's a former second-round pick, 35th overall by the Montreal Canadiens back in the 2018 draft. Here's a guy who split last season between Laval and Montreal. So he's got a chance. You know, you would evaluate his chances of making the team probably at 50-50, maybe actually less than 50% because of the contract situation going around with other players on the team. So here it is. Uh, as we bring up the graphic, uh, in case you missed it, Jesse Alonen just signed a great extension, at least great for the Montreal Canadiens, you say. 
Two-way deal at what cost? Let's dive into it. Let's discuss it. Uh, what do you tell me? Yeah, so he uh, signed at, resigned at, I believe, the league minimum, 775K for, for one season, after which he becomes a restricted free agent. But the two-way nature of it entails that he's only going to make 200K in the AHL. The catch is that he's also no longer waiver exempt. So if he is cut during training camp, which is, in my opinion, the what's going to happen based on the contract situation, um, he can be picked off uh, up off waivers by another team and the Canadians would lose him. And it would be a shame because I think if you look at, for example, where he would fit in in the lineup based on the makeup of his player profile, he probably is a bottom six forward at this stage of his career. Uh, a play driving one at that, but, you know, bottom six forward. And Yol Armia, Yolone uh, outproduced Yoel Armia, who's making, who probably has one of the worst contracts on the team. Yeah. But because of the veteran nature, you know, because of the fact Armia is a veteran and you can't really get rid of that contract and, and the aforementioned logjam up, up front, it's unlikely that Yolone would be able to usurp Armia and, and others. It's it's always, you know, it's not an easy exercise when you look at a player and you say, this player is a first-line player, this player is a second-line player, this player is a third-line player, this player is a fourth-line player. There are players who can surprise you. But one of the things you can do that will help you out is just take a look at their body of work. And if you take a look at Yolonen's body of work, he's never really put up huge numbers, all right? So last year he had 11 goals in 39 games. In the American Hockey League, he had six goals in 37 games in the National Hockey League. His goal is six goals in 37 games in the National Hockey League would translate to what? 12 and 74, so probably about 15 or so in an 82-game season. Um, that doesn't make you a first-line player. It doesn't make you a second-line player. I think a lot of people probably see him as a fourth-line player, but this is where I think it could become interesting because Jesse Alonen, can probably end up playing a role on a third line if you want your third line to be a shutdown line. Now, there's two different schools of thought, Ryan, right? There's either you go with four lines that obviously your best players play on the top lines, but you try and have, you you can put an offensive player or two on line three or line four and ask for everyone to produce, or you end up going top two line heavy in terms of offense, create a shutdown line on the third line and create a line that goes out and, and maybe as bigger bodies takes the body and, and provides some energy to the team, uh, you know, a, an energy line. This school of thought used to exist a lot more 10, 15, 20 years ago than it does now, but you can still win that way. And you see a lot of teams that win the Stanley cup. Usually they end up having that kind of formula. They end up having a fourth line, which is big. They take the body. They go out. They they bring energy. Where would you see Yelonen? Would you see him more on a third line or on a fourth line at the NHL level? I think it depends on how the team in question is made up. On the Canadians as they're made up right now, he would be a fourth liner because they, in my estimation, they're going more along the lines of the first formula that you pointed out, uh, you know, the ability to maybe roll four lines uh, with, you know, offensive players. I think the acquisition of Alex Newhook, 
the re-signing of Sean Monahan, all that plays into that that uh, line of thinking, in my estimation. All right. So if we take a look at um, your top twelve, your top twelve off the top of your head, and you can end up having thirteen. You might even end up having fourteen. But your top twelve off the top of your head, without actually saying on which lines they're going to go on, who do you have? I'm going to be cheating because I do have an organizational depth chart over over here. But don't worry I, about it. Go for it. I would say Cole Caulfield, uh, yeah. Nick Yuki, Kirby Duck, um, new Alex Newhook, Sean Monahan, um, <laughs> Uri Slavkovsky, um, Dvorak. Dvorak would be, yeah, Dvorak would be probably the third line center. Gallagher? I think at this point, yes. Yeah, so, uh, let's say Brendan Gallagher over Mike Hoffman for number 12, for uh, number nine. And Mike Hoffman would make it. Uh, Yol Armia, Pizzetta, and, and Evans. Yeah. No Raphael Harvey Pinard. Yes, Raphael Harvey Pinard over Pizzetta for sure. Over Pizzetta for sure. All right, okay. Uh, so that that's the way you, you don't look at Michael Pizzetta being an everyday player at the Montreal Canadiens. You look at him being a 13 or a 14. I see him as being an everyday roster player, but yes, uh, probably a number 13 who gets in there every few games or so. And, you know, although he is getting better, he is the type of player that if he's out of the lineup every now and then, he's not going to disrupt the chemistry on the team in the locker room. He's not going to ruffle any feathers. Here's a guy that's still going to be very enjoyable to be around. And, um, you know, you, look, he's he's still young. Pizzetta can get better. Ideally, ideally, the role that the player that would be the player that would be 13 or 14 that's out of the lineup every now and then would probably have been more suited for a Belzil who would, would go on 32 years old and, but I, in this case, you'd have to think it would be Pizzetta, unless, of course, they want to do it to a Hoffman or they want to do it to an Armia, but you would think they're not going to do that. Hoffman's contract's up at the end of the year. Armia's got one more year left. You want to get something for these players going forward. I would humbly disagree in the sense that I've, I've actually written a, uh, a recent article also on the situation regarding Hoffman specifically. Uh, suggesting that Canadians should throw caution to the wind and, and, and you know, bury his contract, all due respect to him. Because I don't think Hoffman's done anything wrong. I just feel like the Canadians are in a position where they could probably, they're best served giving his roster spot to someone like Yelonen, for example. And if you look at what happened last season under similar circumstances with Evgeny Dadanov, they got, you know, Denis Goryanov back. And that really didn't translate into much of anything. And Hoffman doesn't really have much value right now. I don't envision him building up his trade value to the point where the Canadians would get anything more than a third, fourth round pick at the trade deadline. And you have to question whether or not that third or fourth round pick is more valuable than the development of someone like Yelonen or Harvey Pinard, who is still uh, waiver exempt and could be sent down easily to make room for someone with a, you know, a veteran with a contract. So, yeah, you know, when you talk about Hoffman, it's, it's interesting because the Canadians have talked about culture for the longest time and you just get the feeling 
that Hoffman and the way he plays the game, I'm not so sure he fits into that culture. I think that Canadians didn't get exactly what they hoped for when they signed him. I thought they were probably looking for someone to be a boon to the power play. And, you know, they, they basically signed him to replace Thomas Tatar. And I don't think they they got that, really. Um, you know, Hoffman's defensive reputation or, you know, lack thereof regarding his defensive capabilities um, they were they were going for a sniper and someone to again boost the power play, but the power play has been horrible. His you know the, the two years he's been here, and that's not all him. Obviously, he's a complimentary player, but he can't really you can't really say it's worked out all the same. He he just I wouldn't say he's a bad fit culturally. I would just say he's just been a bad fit in general, and he was probably signed to help with a. Uh, push the play, uh, Canadians into the playoffs following their Stanley Cup uh, final run and kind of help the team get over the hump in that sense. But I don't think that was ever going to work out because the Atlantic division was reforming. You know, you had lost Shea Weber. You, you know, Kyrie Price got injured. That team was had everything stacked against them from the get-go and Hoffman wasn't going to help out in that regard. A shout-out to Murphy Clinic, an aesthetic clinic specializing in medical aesthetic care. They offer permanent laser hair removal as well as a wide range of treatments for skin problems such as acne, rosacea, fine lines, and more. They currently have two clinics, one located at Montreal Shop Angus and the second on the North Shore in Terban. They're also opening soon in Quebec City. Visit murphyclinic.ca or on Instagram at murphyclinic. If anyone ever drops by, say hello to the lovely Pamela and staff. Pamela is an absolute dear. Uh, their service is top-notch, their technology is top-notch, and I can tell you that the family uh, goes to Murphy Clinic. Merci beaucoup pour uh, tout votre expertise. Thank you very much for all of your expertise. All right, okay. Um, Jesse Yolonen, the fact that you don't have him in your top 12, you don't have him in your top 13, maybe not even in your top 14, my question to you is, is it strictly because of others' contract situations, or do you think they're just better players than him? It's it's um, all due to the contract situation with Hoffman, uh, Armia, even Gallagher. Um, yeah, and I, I love Gallagher, but uh, he's probably best suited to a bottom six role at this stage. Um, well, hold Hoff on a second. This is interesting. So, do you think that at this stages of their career? That Jesse Alonen, if granted the same amount of minutes, let's just say, let's just say the Canadians gave Jesse Alonen 10 minutes in the bottom six, 12 minutes in the bottom six, and they gave Brendan Gallagher the exact same thing, 10 to 12 minutes in the bottom six, that Yelonen could bring more to the table than Gallagher. Are you saying that? No, I think Gallagher would still bring more. I'm saying okay. more so with regard to Hoffman and, and Armia because – uh, Ilonen did outproduce Ar Armia last season. That can't be denied. Yeah, uh, and and Hoffman, he would he's more of a top six four. You can't really put him in the bottom six without you know, expect much. Um, if Hoffman were a bottom six four, I'd make that bet as well um, in in Ilonen's favor, but. Uh, you know, that, that it's kind of a moot point because Hoffman's never going to be played in, in, in the bottom six or the bottom line anyway. Um, 
that's where Yelonen, I think, would shine right now with less expectations. I'm not so sure about that, Ryan, because if Mike Hoffman at one point ends up in Marty St. Louis doghouse, now listen, it's it's funny I'm saying this because the, I, I have a different school of thought, okay? I see things a little bit differently than everyone. That's why a lot of people say I know absolutely nothing. I think I know a lot, but anyway. Joke. Um, not. Uh, I like trying to get something for players who are not in your plans, especially in the final year of their contract. And that's the time to boost their value. And I've said on more than one occasion that even though the best winger for Suzuki and Caulfield, until proven otherwise, is Doc. Doc was amazing last year. Now, they want to play him at center? I agree. I have no problem with that. In that case, you'd think that the best winger for those two guys would be Josh Anderson, a guy who could be there, insulate them, protect them, go into the corners, do some work, yada, yada, yada. But I don't think they're going to do that either. And uh, Or maybe they will. What am I getting at? In the final year of your contract, I like to raise your value as much as possible. I want to put you in a winning situation. I wouldn't mind putting Hoffman with those two guys for half the season, and I wouldn't mind putting Monahan with those two guys for half the season because they're both in the final year of their contract, and you can both get something for them if they pick up points, and their best chance of picking up points is playing with those two guys and playing on the power play. Is that going to happen? I mean, only time will tell. We'll find out uh, in the second week of October. I would see the thing about that is, and this is purely speculation on my part, I will readily admit that the Canadians seem to want to make the playoffs. And I think their best bet to do that is to put Caulfield and Suzuki with the player with whom they had the most success last season, and that's Doc. I think they resigned Monaghan just so they could put Doc on that first line and put Monaghan back on that second line as center. Uh, elaborate on that for me, please, if you can. When you say the Canadians seem to want to make the playoffs, you believe Kent Hughes, that's the goal, is to make the playoffs right away in the 23-24 season. You believe that's the goal for Jeff Gordon. We know the coach always wants to win as many games as possible. We know that, right? The coach wants to go 82-0 and and then go 16-0 and in the playoffs and obviously win the Stanley Cup. We get that. Does the GM and the executive vice president of hockey operations, do they want to continue with the rebuild? If the answer is no, then they want to make the playoffs. If the answer is yes at all costs, then they're going to want to finish in the bottom five. If the answer is somewhat, well, then maybe they'll they'll try. But if they come up short, it's not the end of the world. I think that the goal is to make a run at a playoff spot to be in the mix at the trade deadline. And if I think we've discussed this in the past where if they're in the mix at the trade deadline and Monaghan is being as valuable as he proved to be mm-hmm. last season, they're not, there's no reason to trade him in the last year of his contract because he's contributing to a potentially, you know, potentially locking down a playoff berth. I don't think that's going to happen in the end. I think they're going to be in the mix at the trade deadline and ultimately fall short. But that would be counterintuitive if you're within reach of a playoff spot. And the same goes for Hoffman, really, if he's, you know, in the top six, top nine. All right, okay. So now on to Leah Sanderson, and I want to talk to you about him. 
Let's bring up uh, a graphic of your piece so everyone can see it. And, of course, you can follow Ryan Sporzer on Twitter at R-S-Z-P-O-R-E-R. All right? Columnist at the Hockey Writer, Leah Sanderson, doesn't realistically have an inside track to a Canadian's roster spot like some may think. Why not? It's a similar issue um, with Yelonen. Um Anderson signed a two-way contract, so it's easy for the Canadians to um, demote him because you know they're going to be paying him less in the AHL. And the just the sheer symbolism of the two-way contract—it's indicative of the Canadians not necessarily having that most confidence in him. Now, to be fair, and I pointed this out in the piece, and I think everyone knows at this point, it's no surprise that Jeff Gordon drafted. Anderson, um, the same year that, you know, um, while the Golden Knights drafted Nick Suzuki and, you know, the Canadians ultimately acquired him. Seventh uh, overall in 2017, the uh, the draft of Nico Heischer first, Nolan Patrick second, Heiskanen third, Makar fourth, Elias Pedersen fifth, Cody Glass to Vegas sixth, and Leas Anderson to the New York Rangers seventh. Continue, Ryan. Yeah, so... Gordon obviously believes in Anderson because otherwise he wouldn't have given him or, you know, he wouldn't give him a contract through GM Kent, Kent Hughes, um, you know, with the Canadians. But all that having been said, realistically, Anderson still has so much to prove before he can become an everyday NHL forward. Forget even like a, a top six, which, you know, him having been drafted where he was, you'd have you'd expect him to be. But no, the Canadians' top six is, for all intents and purposes, set. I mean, parts can move from one line to another, but the Canadians simply don't have room for Anderson, especially seeing as he's primarily a center, ideally a center. You've got Suzuki, you've got Monaghan, you've got Dvorak, you've got Evans. And, you know, that's not even taking into account the fact that Doc can play center, Newhook can play center, um, where is he going to play? It, 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 he, he's coming off a very good AHL season. And I have to believe logically that the Canadian signed him thinking that's where he's probably going to play the most. Um, with the promise of him being one of the, I guess, first call-ups in the event of injuries. And if that happens, if Anderson is playing in the top six on the Montreal Canadiens because of injuries. That means a lot of things have gone wrong from an injury perspective for a third straight season. So it, it isn't exactly, it wouldn't be good, all things considered. If you're watching right now, you're watching on YouTube, on Facebook, and on Twitter. And of course, you can listen to us on Google, Apple, and Spotify. If you're watching, like it, share it with your friends. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. Comment sick, S-I-C-K-S-I-C-K. And if you're listening, leave us a five-star review. It's our way of feeling the love. At least I hope so. You know, this whole Leas Anderson thing is I find it extremely intriguing. And I'm going to tell you why. Leas Anderson, once again, was a player that was identified by Jeff Gorton, you would think, as a big potential player. He drafted him seventh overall. It's the same draft where... You know, Owen Tippett went 10th, and Velarde went 11th, and Nishkash went 
12th and Suzuki went 13th and you know the list goes on and on Josh Norris went 19th Robert Thomas went 20th um there's some pretty good players pretty good players I I think what we talked about before is the rebuild over yes or no has a lot to do with what can happen with Leah Sanderson. To begin with, you're right. There's no doubt that players' contracts, when a player has a two-way compared to a player who's got a one-way, the player who's got the one-way is in the driver's seat, and the player who's in the two-way is not. So you would think that just based on that, the one-way starts in Montreal, the two-way chances are he's going to Laval. However, let's say Leah Sanderson shows up to camp and he blows away Jake Evans. And he's even better than Christian Dvorak. Here's a guy who last year at the American Hockey League level picked up 31 goals in 67 games. 59 points in 67 games. Three points in two playoff games. This player can produce points. Maybe not earlier on in his career, with the exception of a year in, I think it was Sweden, but definitely showed last season that he can. 100% that he can. So, let's go back to it again. If Anderson can bring more to the table than Evans, can produce more than Evans, and the Canadians want to make the playoffs and the rebuild is over, he's got his chance. But if the rebuild is not over and they don't care if they don't make the playoffs, even if Anderson is better than Evans, at that point, you can still have Evans here and you got Anderson helping your American Hockey League team, who, by the way, is going to need some help and going to need some offense. You would think this guy's going to be the number one centerman on that team to start the season next season. Right? I mean, it's all dependent on how Anderson shows up in training camp. I mean, I think we can agree on that. Um, even if I think it would take a Herculean effort on his part to usurp either Evans or Dvorak, honestly. Um, I, I just don't see it happening based on the conservative nature of the Canadians, traditionally speaking. You're, you're pulling out some words uh, tonight. Herculean, uh, usurp, uh, aforementioned. Uh, I can tell that you're a writer and I'm not. Like you're, you're, that, Remind me never to play you in a game of Scrabble, my friend. It's never going to happen. I think it would be over uh, before it even started. Uh, I'll remind you. Okay, on to your third column, if we can, but not before I talk to you about sportbuffshop.com. Shop all your sports licensed lifestyle apparel, including hoodies, caps, and T-shirts of your favorite teams from all major leagues at sportbuffshop.com. Use code SICK10 for 10% off on all of their items, and here's your last piece that we'll get to. The Canadians can realistically compete for a playoff spot in 23-24, even if one ultimately falls out of reach thanks to some combination of the following five obstacles in front of them. Ryan, what are those obstacles? Um, okay, number five is um, 
a lack of experience in the sense that they just traded away Joel Edmondson, who was one of their, you know, part of the leadership core. And, you know, I'm not, it remains to be seen how much of a factor this is because the, the Kings are a younger team, but two teams that were younger than them to end the year, uh, the Los Angeles Kings and the New Jersey Devils made playoffs. And Devils obviously enjoyed great success, even reaching mm-hmm. the second round. So it, it's kind of, uh, it's more so one of those intangibles and, you know, depends on where you fall, you know, assessing the old school nature of that quality. Um, they clearly don't have as much experience as they had a couple of years ago when they made the final point taken. Granted, 100%. They lost a lot of veteran leadership, by the way, in the, from that team that Shea Weber was on that team that made it to the Stanley Cup final. He's not. Um Joel Edmondson was on that team that made it to the Stanley Cup final. He's not. Um, ben Sherratt was on that team that made it to the Stanley Cup final. He's not. Uh, Gustafson was on that team that made it to the Cup final. Merrill was on that team that made it to the Cup final. Stahl was on that team that made it to the Cup final. Deneau was on that team that made it to the Cup final. And I'm, I'm going off the top of my head here, but there, there are others that, uh, you know... Uh, not thinking about right now, but we're on that team that made it to the cup final. Tatar was on that team that made it to the cup final. Was he not? Uh, he yeah. didn't play. Much, yeah. No, he didn't play. Lekkinen was on that team that made it to the cup final. Scored the clinching goal in round three. Yeah. On, uh, on, on St. Jean Baptiste, by the way, on St. Jean Baptiste. Uh, and now I'm going to uh, hold on a second. So I'm going to do this now. I'm going to bring it up here. I want to take a look to see if there's uh, anyone that I'm I missed out on. Okay, who else? Uh, Drouin was on that team. Yes, Corey Perry was on that team. Of course, how can I forget Corey Perry? And uh, Jeff Petrie was on that team that made it to the uh, Cup final. Tyler Toffoli was on that team that made it to the Cup final. Paul Byron was on that team that made it to the Cup final. There's a lot of players. Brett Kulak was on that team that made it to the Cup final. They lost a lot of experience in two years, eh? You really, you really get a better feel for it once you start taking a look at the team on paper and stuff. Man, they lost a lot of experience. They did, but I think overall, I mean, I'd say the team is going to be better, but I think the team as it was then, the success hinged largely on Carey Price, and they obviously don't have a Carey Price in net right now. And I'm not so sure that's a bad thing because of the contract and you don't really want to pay your goalies $10.5 million per year or at least have a cap hit of $10.5 million per year. No, you don't need a top goalie to win the Stanley Cup now. You just need one to get hot in the playoffs. Yeah. And, but even so, I mean, it would be nice to have elite or, sorry, above average goaltending. And that's another one of the uh, obstacles that I, I discuss in, in the piece in the sense that I believe uh, – Samuel Montembeau has stolen number one job from Jake Allen for all intents and purposes. I agree with you. I agree with you. But he's still a huge question mark in net because he played absolutely well. Uh, There's no denying he played very well last season. Yeah. And for proof of that, you can look just to like goal saved above expected as, you know, one of the analytics that says he was among the league leaders in that stat, which is incredibly impressive. That having been said, he 
if you look at you know just the normal statistics, not so good. I, I believe he had a you know an average mediocre for all intents purposes nine hundred one save percentage, uh, and his goals against average was you know well above three. That's more indicative of the team in front of him. I'll, I'll readily admit. Even so, it was just two years ago that he was a third stringer, and he was thrust into you know starters territory last season because of all the injuries, and he didn't really played nearly as well as he did last year. So he still has a lot to prove. And no one can say for sure if he's a flash in the pan or not. And I think that it's a good thing that the Canadians have low expectations for this coming season because it gives them the chance to give him the reins and see what he's got. And, you know, if he doesn't, he's a pending unrestricted free agent, in which case... Don't resign him and sign someone new. It's easier than it sounds. I, I mean, it, it, it that there's no telling who they'll be able to get via free agency. But right now, I think that the only solution, the only thing that they can do is to give him the net, Montembeau, and, and see how he does and reassess before signing him to a new contract, if at all. All right. Okay. So one obstacle is the lack of experience that can get in the way of making the playoffs. The other obstacle is Samuel Montembeau, in your opinion, has surpassed Jake Allen, but he is still somewhat of a question mark. Uh, I think he's a question mark if you want to put him up against the top seven or eight goalies in the National Hockey League. But other than that, I don't think he's a question mark. Other obstacles. What do you have at number three? Was the goalie situation obstacle number four, by the way, on your uh, in your column? Or? No, it was number, number three. Number four was... Just kind of external pressure on Kent Hughes for to continue the rebuild and not you know go for it, and it, uh, we alluded to this uh, earlier about uh, with regard to Monahan, for example, if the Canadians are in a position to at least make a run of clinching a playoff berth, there's no logical way to there's no logical reason to trade away Monahan at the deadline because you're in a position to potentially make it so this is this is interesting because a year ago if monahan was healthy and they knew they were in the rebuild even if they're in a playoff spot come deadline the day before the deadline i believe they trade him at this stage of where they are with the rebuild and about ready to turn the corner if they're in a playoff spot the day before the deadline or the day of the deadline i believe they would not trade monahan i agree and I think that's just my inclination, and it's what I believe uh, Hughes will do, not to trade him. That having been said, you know, there are a lot of calls for the Canadians to continue, you know, the rebuild for what is even go so far as to tank uh, this coming season for another high pick. Um, and in such an instance, you know, who knows what goes on in Hughes' head you know, do you trade Monahan? Do you trade Hoffman if he's performing well at the deadline? You know, it remains to be seen. Add the word inclination to the list of very big and long words that Ryan Sporzer has uh, thrown out in this podcast. Uh, usurp, aforementioned, inclination. Which one was the other one again? I, I don't remember. Am I going to get invited back? I, I, I... You definitely will. I, I told you, I'll invite you back on the podcast 100%. But 200%, I'm not playing a game of Scrabble with you. Like, that is not happening. Never. 
Like, yeah. don't call me up and say, Tony, you know what? I got some free time. You got some free time. You want to play Scrabble? No. If I have some free time, what I'm going to do is I'm going to grab my iPhone and I'm going to play checkers. Okay? Because I do it. As a matter of fact, um, I play about 30 minutes of checkers every day. All right? Okay? So um, here we are. Right there. You see? Okay. Play that every day. One player. I got uh, the difficulty in between normal and hard. Okay. Okay. So this is what I do when I have some uh, some free time. Do you play force jump or not? I don't play checkers. You don't play checkers. I do not. You play chess. I play more chess than checkers, but I wouldn't say I play chess either. All right. Okay. So this whole time you've been playing chess and I've been playing checkers. Is that what you're telling me here or what? Uh, this whole All time right. I've been playing Scrabble. Uh, you've been playing Scrabble. All right. Obstacle number two in the in the in in the way of the Canadians making the playoffs is it's uh, an in, another injury plague season because you have to look back to the first month of last season where the Canadians were uh, at one point early November I believe holding down the eighth spot mm-hmm. and they were playing well and I don't think anyone can take that away it wasn't like just the goaltenders stealing victories, although they were playing well themselves. The Canadians as a whole were, were gelling as a unit. And I feel like another year of experience under the belts of their younger players. Um, if Montembeau, you know, takes that extra next step in his development, I, I think that the Canadians are, you know, again, in the, that mix. But if that all goes, you know, that all hits the fan if injuries strike like they did the last two seasons when they led the league in man games lost, you know, both the last two seasons. The Canes just don't have the organizational depth to uh, offset injuries to that degree. And that's been proven last two seasons. So, so the depth the depth is the other, the other obstacle in your opinion? Yes, I think. I mean, I, I do think they have the players to, you know, roll four lines in principle, but only past that point, not so much. Uh, at, after that point, there's a lot of unproven talent in the system. And, you know, you're going to run into a situation where you've got Harry Pinard and Yelonen uh, flanking Nick Suzuki on the first line again, and you can't really have that to make the playoffs. All right. Okay. Obstacle number one. It's the just the competition in a stacked Atlantic division because there are maximum five spots up for grabs. And I don't know who realistically drops out, seeing as the wild card Florida Panthers are coming off a Stanley Cup final appearance. I, I don't see the Toronto Maple Leafs falling out of it. I don't see the, the Tampa Bay Lightning falling out of it. And even though Patrice Bergeron just retired, I don't see the Boston Bruins falling out of it. So then you're down to you know, one spot hypothetically. And I don't know if the Canadians are good enough to, you know, steal it away from the Detroit Red Wings, the Buffalo Sabres, the Ottawa Senators. And that's only if, you know, that final fifth spot is even up for grab and not taken by someone in the metro- metro- Metropolitan Division. All right. So let's, let's look at that as a matter of fact. I, I want to bring that up. So I want to bring up the teams that made the playoffs last year in the East. Okay. Uh, so here you have it in the East. So Boston, Carolina, New Jersey, Toronto, 
the Rangers, Tampa Bay, the Islanders, and the Florida Panthers. Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Ottawa, Detroit, Washington, Philadelphia, Montreal, and Columbus. These are the teams that did not make it, okay? The Penguins were one point out of a playoff spot. So were the Sabres. Ottawa was five points out of a playoff spot. So let's just let's just pretend that the teams that didn't make the playoffs last year won't make the playoffs this year either. If the teams that didn't make the playoffs last year won't make the playoffs this year either, which team in the playoffs can miss the playoffs? And I would say the Islanders. I would say if there's a team that was in a playoff spot last year in the East that I could see missing the playoffs this year, if, I'm not saying they will, if there is, it would be the Islanders. What do you think? I think that's a fair bets i like i said like i believe the panthers had fewer points than them but i between the two I, i'd say one, one fewer point one fewer point one yeah. last point so i'd say between the two the islanders are the obvious choice just based on the playoff success that the panthers just had um yeah i'd agree with that having said that let's just say the islanders missed the playoffs and one of the teams that actually missed the playoffs last year would make the playoffs who would that team be You'd have to think that Pittsburgh and Buffalo, who came close last year within a point, they would still be the teams right now anyway that have the best shot of getting into a playoff spot. Don't you think? Out of the teams that missed the playoffs last year. And once again, they are Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Ottawa, Detroit, Washington, Philadelphia, Montreal, and Columbus. Do you think that Pittsburgh and Buffalo would have the best shot of getting in? It's hard to, to say. Um, I'd say, I mean, that's the what one might assume based on how the season shook out last season. Um, between Buffalo, Detroit, Ottawa, it's a relative crapshoot, in my opinion. I don't, I can't really. I think that there are pros and cons for either one of them. If I had to pick one. I'd say the Red Wings because I'm not going to bet against Iserman. Then again, think about this. The Canadians were 24 points out of a playoff spot last year, okay? 24. Okay. They were the team that lost the most man games due to injury. 24 points is 12 wins. 12 wins more last year, they would have got in. 12 wins is what? The month of October, November, December, January, February, March, April. It's about six and a half months. Put two wins per month more. If the Canadians' man games lost from injury go from 750 games to 250 games, let's just say, can they not win two games per month more? I think so. So you know what? The Canadians can be there. You're right. You talked about the obstacles, but in a in a perfect season, in an ideal situation, the Canadians are going to battle for a playoff spot. I believe so. Then again, there's also some teams that didn't make it last year who are all going to who are going to be better. But I think there were some teams that got in last year who might still be in, but they're going to drop points. I think the Canadians. You know, I said the other day, I wasn't willing to say right away if the Canadians were going to make the playoffs or not. I'm going to wait till, you know, the night before the first game of the season. 
but I, I, I'm, I'm willing to say this. They're not going to finish bottom five, and tonight I'm going to say something else. Um, they're not going to finish bottom eight in the league either. So they're not going to finish bottom five. They're not going to finish bottom eight. I'm willing to say that, and between now and the beginning of the season, I might end up uh, you know, giving them even more points than that. Hey, Ryan, it was a lot of fun. Tell people where they can find you on Twitter. At R Sporzer, I'll tell them actually R S Z P O R E R, and you're um, a columnist for the hockey writers. Correct. Very good to talk to you again, my man, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks again. There you have it. There's Ryan Sporzer. I'm Marinaro. Once again, you can uh, listen to us on Google, Apple, or Spotify, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's absolutely free. Check us out. We go live weeknights on YouTube, on Facebook, and on Twitter for Agnello, Sammy, and Juliana at Master Control. There, Cavallaro. I'm Marinaro. Good night. A demain, a domani. Talk tomorrow. Ciao for now. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature and Playground, your premier gaming destination.